We are returning this week to 1 John, and uh, just we've been away from it for a few weeks, so let me just kind of catch you quickly up to speed. Uh, it's obviously written by a man uh, named John. John was one of the disciples, one of the apostles, and he wrote this letter to a group of Christians, a group of followers of Christ, a church um, that was struggling. It was struggling for a variety of reasons, one of the reasons being that a uh, healthy, we don't know exactly how many, but a significant number uh, of the people in this local congregation are, are leaving, and they're not leaving because they're moving or taking a job in the next town, but they're leaving really over theological differences. They are beginning to say and are saying that, that Jesus did not really come in the flesh, that he never walked on the earth, that there's no way God could ever take on the form of a human. And they're teaching that and they're talking about that. And, and what they're also saying is that whatever you believe about Jesus, he doesn't matter to everyday life. You can live however you want to live. And so these people, this group of people, this congregation are confused, are, are, are sad, are grieving, and they're trying to figure this all out. And John has this relationship with them. He helped uh, get this church going. And so he writes this letter. He, doesn't, uh, he couldn't get there and uh, writes this letter to them to help strengthen them in the midst of what they're facing. And uh, we find more words that help strengthen them and us today. In First John, I hope you have it in front of you in some way. Um, if you don't, the words will be up there on the screen. But I want to read the verses we're going to look at today and learn from today, and then we'll, we'll dive into it. So <clears throat> First John chapter 2, we'll start in verse 28. It says, And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. For if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and we know and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness, John says. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or knows him. Those are the words that we're going to learn from today that John wrote so many years ago that are alive and active and still can speak to us here in Brunswick, Ohio this morning. I've shared before that a common activity in the O'Connell home with having four kids, two boys, two girls, uh, is, is wrestling. It's this common activity that it does, it's not happening as much, which as a dad I'm somewhat thankful for, because they're getting a little older now, and I'm soon going to lose the battle. Uh, but anyway, it still happens, pops up, matches pop up uh, every now and then. And, and it's interesting. Uh, one of the things I've noticed that, that I didn't notice before, but that before the match begins, 
the, the kids that are going to be engaged in it want to let me know, and I, they want me to call out, once they've told me who they are, their wrestling name. <laughs> so they don't come into the match just as Thomas, Nathan, or Elsie, but they come in with this other identity. They come into it with another name. And it's really actually somewhat humorous, the various names. Uh, some are actually real wrestlers, which I appreciate from my WWF watching days uh, back in the day. Uh, but then, you know, and, and it's interesting just to watch them take on this persona and the name they call forth. And it's so funny. I've noticed this recently. Our youngest, Elsie, who's, uh, you know, she, many times before the match begins, she wants to be called Big Show. <laughs> So, Big Show, if you follow WDF, was a real, WE, whatever, is a real wrestler, was a real wrestler. Uh, but if you know Elsie, some of you maybe don't, but Elsie stands all of about three foot tall. That's, you know, if she's on her tippy toes, maybe. But she wants me, and she tells me, my name is Big Show, and you need to call me Big Show when we wrestle. And that's what I do. And uh, so I, you know, we announce and she enters the ring as Big Show. And it's amazing to watch that when this three foot really nothing of a little girl, when you call that name, when you call forth that identity, she takes on that persona. I think there's something for us there. I think there's a direct connection between when identity is called out, the behavior follows. I think there's something for us today as followers of Christ, understanding and knowing and embracing our identity as children of God. Friends, I think it's vital for us to embrace our identity as God's children. This is so important because every day you and I are being bombarded with all these other things that are screaming for our attention and what in many ways what they're saying is find your identity in me. And what these things could be, it's an exhaustive list, but it could be our careers. It could be our economic status. It can be our very bodies. It can be the things we own, the things we consume. It can be what people think about us or what people say about us. It can be the success of our children. And those things in and of themselves are not bad. But when they go south, and if our identity is wrapped up in those things, we struggle to know who we are. If our identity, again, it's not bad to find value, and I hope you find value and worth in what you do, but, but if our identity is just so intertwined and wrapped up in that, maybe when you lose your job or you no longer have a career, you, you retire and you step into that next season of life, and if your identity is just so intertwined in there, it's like, who am I now? Identity. Identity can come through social media. How many likes on Twitter? How many followers on Twitter? How many followers on Instagram? How many people liked my post on Facebook? And if that's going really well, we feel really good. If that just tanks, we wonder who am I? Understanding and embracing our identity as children of God is vital. 
as followers of Jesus. And that's where John goes. As he reaches out to people that are struggling, wrestling with what in the world is going on right now? Why are these people leaving? What do we do? He runs to identity. He pushes them towards identity, understanding they are children of God, first and foremost. That's where he runs to. We'll, we'll study all, we'll look at and pull, extract truth from all these verses, but let's jump right to chapter 3, verse 1. This is where Paul, go, excuse me, John goes. He goes to identity. He says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called, identified as children of God. And even he kind of drives the point home again. If that's not enough, he says, and that is what we are. Friends, that's what we are, he says. The love that John describes here, it just says great. How great the love the Father has lavished on us. The the English language just doesn't do justice to describe this type of love. What John literally is describing, the quality or type of love, is this out-of-this-world kind of love. It's peculiar. It's not like what we receive in in human relationships, but it's peculiar. It's out of this world. It's a love that you've never experienced before. John says that's the kind of love that God has lavished. He's poured out on you so that you are called children of God. We see this love, this out of this world, this peculiar kind of love in action throughout the word of God. One story, the one parable, a parable that just jumps off the pages at me is the parable of the prodigal son. Maybe you're familiar with it. It's in Luke 15. We're not going to turn there, but you have this extravagant love. You have this father with two sons, and the one son says, Dad, I want my inheritance now, which is basically saying, I wish you were dead. And the father gives him his share of the inheritance. And that son takes whatever that amount of money is and wealth is and he just goes off and does whatever he wants to do and he wastes all that money. He ends up kind of hitting rock bottom. He's, he has no more money left and just to get by, he's feeding pigs and he's wishing, man, I just wish I could eat the food that they're eating. And then he thinks, you know, my father has servants in his house that, that are being taken care of better than me and maybe I could just go home and I could just be a servant. Just work out my days being one of dad's servants. And the son decides to go home. As a parent, what do you think your response would be? Your son, daughter did that? (laughs) I think we all have thoughts about that. But we see, we get the sense based on the story in Luke 15 that the father is watching for the son, longing for him to come home. And when he sees him off in the distance, he doesn't wait for him to get to the porch, tapping his toe. He doesn't wait for him to get into the house, but he runs to him. Men in that culture don't run, it's not popular. But he would have had to probably lift his garment, lift his robe that he would have been wearing, and he takes off down the driveway. He embraces, and the son is saying, Dad, I'm sorry, I'm just, I just want to be one of your servants. That's all. And he said, No, you are what? My son. And he puts the family ring on his finger, and he puts a robe around him, and he throws a feast for him. 
That's out of this kind of world, love. And he says, you are my son. And that hasn't changed. And John says, that's the kind of love that God has lavished on us. That what? We should be called or we should be identified called forth as children of God. And John says, that's what we are. When the world or your other friends are saying, you're not a child of God, John says, you are. That's who you are. What we are called is important. I think all of us can remember vividly things we have been called. Names we have been called. And sometimes, many times, those names are not good. And many of those names, you remember them still to this day. You might have been in fifth grade when someone on the playground said something to you, made fun of you, mocked something, made some, maybe the shoes you're wearing or what your hair looked like or you know, what you were eating that day for lunch. And, and you remember it like it was yesterday. And sometimes those things that we have been called still inform behavior. And we're still trying to live out of that identity. And John says to these people and to you and I today, we are children of God. And that's who we are. That's who we are. So why does this matter? Why, why, why does this matter in the great scheme of things to even take time on a Sunday morning to, to think about identity? Why does it matter? I think there's a, a lot of reasons, but John gives us a, a few reasons why this matters in, in kind of the everyday life or rhythm of life. There's two things I think it provides power for, and then we'll talk about what, what are some steps or next steps for us as we leave this place today, the next week or week or so. What do we do? But, but what does it empower? I want to talk just about two things I think it empowers, and they're embedded in this text. First, embracing our identity as children of God provides power for the formation process. And when I, when I talk about formation process, I'm talking about the process of us being formed, made into the image of Christ, a theological word we would put on that is sanctification. Maybe you've heard that or are familiar with it. Maybe it's the first time you're hearing about it. But we believe that there's this formation process that, that we are, be in this life, we are becoming more and more and more like Christ in our attitudes, actions, behaviors, the things we say. They're becoming more like Jesus. Never fully on this side of heaven, but we are in this process and understanding our identity empowers us in that process. And that's where, uh, I can keep on saying Paul, John, John wrote this, not Paul. So we see it here in verse two, chapter three, verse two. John says, dear friends, and he repeats again what he said earlier. Now we are children of God. So he's connecting what he just said to what he's going to say. And what we will be has not yet been made known but, what we, but we know that when he appears, when Christ returns, we shall be like him. Right there, he's talking not about sanctification, but he's talking about glorification. 
that when Christ returns, we are going to be like him. We're not going to become God, but we are going to have our new bodies and we are going to, there's not going to be sin, not going to be sadness, there's not going to be suffering. We are going to be like him. So John in this is talking about both sanctification, the process, and glorification when we will ultimately be like him. He says, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him just as he is. I, the, the picture that came to mind as I was thinking about this are those like those uh, kind of weight loss or health uh, commercials that you see on TV or you see on social media. Like you have the before and after picture. You know, the uh, uh, ten minute abs, and this is what they used to look like, and you know, sad frown face, and, and then you have, you know, a year later, look at them, and they're happy, and oh, it's amazing, you know, the transformation, and and that's the sense I get. Like John is saying, like this is we know, like we're not fully yet where we're going to be, but John gives us the picture, we're gonna be like him, but he says this is kind of where we're at. And where we live right now, friends, is in this in-between. We live in the, this is, this is where I'm at. I know I'm going to be like this someday. And this is the process. This is the in-between. This is where we live, day in and day out, in the in-between. And knowing who we are, I think, provides... Empowerment. I think it provides encouragement because this is not a fast process. I think we all want it to be faster. I want it to be faster. There are things that I wish, man, I wish I still didn't struggle with that. I wish I still didn't have to deal with that. I wish I was past that. You have those things in your life too? We wish, I think we all wish this was such a fast process and I think culture just feeds that because we are a now culture. We hate waiting for anything. So you take that mindset into spiritual formation and, and sometimes we get impatient with ourselves. We should be further along, but it's a slow grind. It's a slow process that over a lifetime continually makes us more like Jesus. And this knowing who we are creates the environment to know God is at work. Because, he's a, because we are his children, he's not going to leave us as we are, but he wants what's best for us. He's going he's to form us. And I love the definition of spiritual formation that Robert Mulholland uses. This is just one of my favorite definitions. The lifelong process of being transformed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. This formation process that we talk about isn't just for us so we feel better about ourselves, but it's so that Christ shines through us to those he's put around us. And the more I'm being transformed to become like Christ, it's going to have a natural influence on those around me. I think understanding to our identity in this formation process provides greater honesty with where we're at. If our identity is not secure, if we are not continually understanding and feeling and hearing the words from the Father, knowing who we are as his children, we're not going to be honest with other people about where we're at on the journey because we're going to want a posture that I'm further along because I want them to like me. Instead, when there's this security in who I am as a child of God, 
I think there'll be a greater level of vulnerability and honesty to say, this is where I'm at. And I don't have to impress you because I know my identity is secure in Christ as his child. It's not only providing power for the formation process journey, but embracing our identity as children of God provides power in the fight for purity. In the fight for purity. And that's where John goes next. In verse 3, 3 through 6, he says this, Everyone, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he, well, God, is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. What, what, what that means, sin is lawlessness, is basically saying God's laws and commands, they don't, what, what the person is saying is they don't matter to me. God's, God's law doesn't matter. What God says doesn't matter. I can do whatever I want. That's the heart of sin. It's lawlessness. Whatever you want to do goes. And John goes on to say, but you know, he says, you know that he appeared, talk about his first appearance, Christ's first appearance, so that he might take away our sins. And in him, in Christ, is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or knows him. So, so let's unpack this a little bit because if you've been on this journey with us through 1 John, you're saying, wait a minute, it seems like John is speaking out of both sides of his mouth. Because you go back just one chapter in the, beginning, the end of chapter 1, he talks about, because it seems here in these verses, like uh, uh, even as Christians, we shouldn't sin, we shouldn't continue to sin. And if, we're, if we continue to sin and we continue to struggle, like, are we, do we know Christ? Do we know God? But then earlier, uh, in the end of chapter 1, John said this, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Wait, wait a minute, John. What are you talking about here? You're saying, like, we should admit we have sin. And he goes on to talk about confession of sin and how it's good. Confessing our sin. And I think what John is laying out is, again, remember the, remember the context there are people that John is writing to that are surrounded by people that are saying, it doesn't matter. Christ doesn't affect how you live your life. You can live however you want to live. And what John is, I think, unpacking here is, is he's, he is, I think he's acknowledging in this whole letter that we will sin. Even as those who are God's children, we will sin. That's part of it. And that's why he talks about confession. But our attitude, our posture should not be, well, I'm just going to keep on doing this because that's who I am. And it's never going to get any better. This, this, this kind of complacency, this I don't really, I'm not going to fight hard against an enemy that wants to destroy me. Like I'm going to take sin pretty carelessly. It doesn't really matter because I'm saved by grace. Friends, if that's our attitude, we need to check that. 
We're never to presume on God's grace, but he knows we will struggle. He knows we will sin. And what Paul or John says is everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. So he's talking about this process of purifying yourself, of confessing sin. And again, I think what he says is understanding your identity as a child of God creates the environment for us to deal with our sin. Instead of running away from God with my sin, I'm going to run towards him with my sin because he's taken it away. He's taken the power away. And we'll talk even more about that in the weeks ahead. But I think understanding more and more of our identity as children of God helps us fight for purity. And it's a fight. It's not easy. With the reality of sin and temptation and an enemy that wants to destroy us. Those are realities that we live in every day. Sometimes we're naive to the spiritual realm that is around us everywhere we go. We need to not continue in, in, in sin, but to fight hard, to confess it. A few, a few years ago, I was in a seminar uh, at a conference I was attending, and the seminar was uh, helping coming alongside hurting uh, teenagers. That was the title of the seminar, so I was really curious about that. And so I went to the seminar, and this young man uh, was presenting and sharing and leading through the seminar, and he basically shared his story with us and used his own story as an example of the, the power of other people coming alongside us and loving us, even in the midst of our mess. And he very vulnerably shared his story that he he had gone from one foster home to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And he actually made it a goal. It almost became a competition for him to see how fast he could get out of that foster home and into the next. So this went on for a long time, from one foster home to the next, and just his behavior was out of control. Just, just, and he said, even as I would go to a home and I would strategically get to know the parents that were in that home so I knew how to, how to push their buttons to try to get out of there faster. So he's taken again from one home to the next to the next and ends up in this one home. And he's in this home for a number of months and his goal again is to get thrown out of this home and into the next. And he did something that caused him to be arrested. And he, this is a number of months after he'd been in the home. And he's down at the police station and he has his phone call and he calls the, the dad in the home. And he tells him where he is and so the dad drives down, picks him up and it's silence from the police station to the house. And he's thinking, okay, this is it. I'm going to get home and it's, I'm gone. This is it. And they sit on the couch. He says, I want to talk to you. The dad says, I'd like to just talk to you for a minute. And he says, he says, I just want to let you know. He's like, we, he said, we know what you're trying to do. And he said, I just want to let you know that we consider you part of our family. And he said, I don't know if this means anything to you, but I just want to let you know, I consider you one of my sons. And I love you. And I love you no matter what you do. And that young man through tears, told the group that was in that seminar, he said, that was the first person that ever told me he loved me. And he said, he called me his son. And he said, I didn't change overnight. He said, I continued to do some pretty, pretty bad things. But they continued to love me. 
They had rules. There was discipline. But they loved me. And that family, a number of years later, ended up adopting him. And that young man's life was transformed because there was a sense of identity, who he was as this man's son, kind of adopted son. And he was shown love that he'd never been shown before. And he changed. Over time, wasn't a quick night, you know, and woke up the next morning, a changed young man. And now he helps other uh, teenagers that are in a similar situation as he was when he was a teenager. Friends, I think understanding more and more who we are in Christ, our identity as a child of God, I really think it helps create the environment that we will honestly and vulnerably and in relationships deal with sin. Like what John talks about. Like confessing. We'll confess sin. Because again, we have nothing to prove. We don't have to posture for uh, what these people think about me. But our identity is secure as a child of God. So what do we maybe do from here? (laughs) You know, this is a nice idea. What do we do from here? And I think John gives us some thoughts. Let me just wrap up with these. Going back to the beginning of the verses we read, I read earlier. I think John lays out a few thoughts here in verse 28 of chapter 2. We need to continue in him. That's what John says in verse 28. And now, dear children, there's the theme throughout this letter. Dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. This idea of continuing in him is a theme that is in the verse right before this. In verse 27 of chapter 2, the last statement is, remain in him. This, this word remain, or the idea of remaining or continuing is a theme through all of John's writings. If you've ever read the Gospel of John, especially John 15, the vine and the branches, abide in me, remain in me. That's all John talks about throughout that entire chapter. He talks about it throughout his writings. So he, what is he, well, he says, continue in him. Like, what is, is he saying, just realize, okay, you're here right now. He's going to come back. So, so just kind of hold on, like hold on, wait till he comes back and just kind of continue as a follower of Christ. I think he is talking about that, but I think he's also talking about this, this, this part that we have as followers of Christ to intentionally remain, so to speak, in him, abide in him. And what I think that means is we need to continually posture ourselves, put ourselves in a place, in a position, in a posture where we are listening to the Father. We need to sit with the Father. We need to be with the Father. Because there are all these other messages that we are listening to in our world that is feeding our minds. And if we are not taking time to continue in him, to be with him, we'll begin to listen to those other messages and not listen to the voice of the Father. Friends, this is so significant that... Do you remember when Jesus' ministry began on earth? Like he, he grew up and it was time for him to kind of get going with what he was going to do on earth. And he, he, he's baptized. And he goes into the waters. And as he comes out of the waters, some pretty significant things happen. 
One of them is his father speaks. And what does the father say? You are my son. Before Jesus does anything, heals, preaches, there's identity. Even the Son of God needed to hear, you are my son. If we're not, if we run to the, to the things we're to do for Christ and we are to do some things for Christ without being with Christ, we will burn out and we will be exhausted and we won't give people Jesus. I think we'll give them what, what we have. And that's not much, friends. I don't want to give people what I have. And here's the other thing. We're called to love. And I appreciate what Andy said earlier. Loving people is hard. Anyone. Loving people in our family, in our neighborhood, in our workplace. Like, it's hard. We can't do it without being with Christ. We can't. So friends, what does the rhythm of your life look like that beyond Sunday morning at 9 o'clock that you're putting yourself away from distractions, listening to what God would say, just being quiet. That's a discipline I'm really just trying to pick up even here recently, being quiet. Prayer is not just about getting things from God. I think it's primarily about being with God. And I think that's what John is saying. Continue in him. Move towards him. Listen to him. And then go. And that's what John even says. Then you live like him. And we'll talk about this more even next uh, the couple weeks. As we, what does it mean to love one another? That's the next section of John chapter 3. But that's what he says. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right, who lives like him, has been born of him. What he's saying is there's this family resemblance. That if you are one of his, you're going to be like him. There's this resemblance in how you live and act and speak. Again, not perfectly, but more and more there's to be this resemblance to do what is right because of how we are first found in him. So today, as we wrap up, maybe, maybe just need some time to be quiet, to be still, to pray, to be alone, to listen to the Father's voice, to think about what it means to be a child of God. Maybe you're realizing your identity is wrapped up in so many other things, and those things aren't going well right now, and you are wondering, who in the world am I? In a moment, we're going to sing. And I just want to let you know, the front of our sanctuary is always open just for prayer. And if you just want to get out of your seat and just be alone, to be quiet, to listen, to cry, whatever it might be, whatever you might need to do today to hear God speak to you and just confirm again and root again your identity as a child of God. Maybe there's some sin that you've just been saying, you know what, this is just the way it's going to be. And, and that's just the way it's been. Maybe there needs to be some confession, acknowledgement, to speak the same of what God reveals. So I'm going to pray. And, uh, and then again, as we sing, the front will always be open if you just need to take some time to be with the Lord and pray even with one another. Maybe you need to bring someone to pray with you. So let me pray and, and we'll sing a song.
Holy Spirit, we just invite you to uh, speak even more today in these moments. We just don't want to, we have plans for the rest of the day, but we just want to rush off. We want to be open to what you want to do and say. And so Lord, even now I pray there's a freedom, a sense of freedom in this place. If it's prayer, if it's asking for someone to pray with you, if it's uh, just being alone, if it's listening, if it's just being quiet, Lord, we just, this place is available and this space. And Lord, I'm thankful for our identity in you as a child of God. It's a deep topic. It's a weighty, it's big, just scratching the surface. So again, Lord, just trusting your spirit to speak in these moments as through the song, even through your scriptures, through one another. In your name, we pray these things. Amen.